Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Good to have you with us, everybody. This has been an interesting series of podcasts we've been having on GSE reform. We're going to be continuing those in today's hot topic segment. It's Monday, July 31st. It's been a hot one here in Texas. It's been hot in different parts of the country, unusually warm. And um, But we also then have the hot topic here, so we're continuing the heat. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're grateful to have you as a mortgage professional and an increasing number of realtors and legislators now listening to this podcast. Our commitment to you is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. More and more people tell us they listen to us while driving in, on a train, commuting, on airplanes, working out is getting to be a one. So I always like that. Hope I wish I could get some of the benefit of them working out listening to the podcast. How great would that be? Anyway, just so excited to have with us on our hot topic panel today, Joe Murin, the past president of the uh, Jenny May. Real unique perspective Joe has, as well as Jay Brinkman, the past chief economist for the NBA, and Gary Ort, the, who was the president of mortgage finance at Texas Capital Bank. And then um, that is representing a new group, myself included. The one that's missing from this group is Les Parker. We have his recorded comments. He can't join us today. But this group of individuals now represent a new board of advisors that was service that we buy a board of advisory service that we're bringing to the mortgage industry. And Texas Capital Bank signed up as the first one to jump on board. So we're honored to have uh, most of the board with us, myself, Joe Murin, Jay Brinkman, Gary Ort, and again, Les Parker will not be with us. But we're really looking forward to getting their comments. It'll give you a sample about the whole concept of what we're doing with the Board of Advisors. It's for um, anyone that's looking for advice, a broad advice on what's going on, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the program. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the innovative RateStar program, Motivity Solutions, now part of the Black Knight family, providing real-time reporting dashboards and scorecards on your performance, a real-time environment. It's really amazing. And then also Velma, which stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. We use them extensively for our marketing. What a great service. Brent Embler and the team's excellent. And then also the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. We're proud to be a part of that transformational mortgage solutions and the radio program is a part of the mortgage collaborative and we've got a summer conference we'll talk about just in a minute then we have finastra finastra it was the old dnh which was again vista bought finastra and i mean vista bought dnh and mysis has combined the companies together now and have become the one of the nation's largest uh uh, tech fin, fintech firms in the United States and also globally. So a lot of good things going on with DNH. You can hear more about them a little bit later when we play their ad. Anyway, here's some upcoming MBA conferences. We have the October 22nd through the 25th. First, excuse me, 25th. October 21st through the 25th, the annual convention and expo at the Colorado Convention Center. And I encourage you to get registered. The registrations, this is going to be a very well-intended event, in part because of the discussion we're having here today on the Hot Topics, uh, Hot Topics segment about GSA reform. Now, there's another conference coming up here in a few weeks, the TMC, or the Mortgage Collaborative Summer Conference. It's August 20th through the 23rd in Nashville, Tennessee. Jim Blanchard, good friend and a partner in the consulting firm, works with me in the consulting firm, is, doing, is going to be the kickoff speaker. He's going to be talking about how you can get your teams talking to more, each other more effectively and bringing them together and understanding how each of us are wired. It's a really compelling uh, 
uh, kickoff uh, session, and I'm really excited to have Jim and share Jim with the everyone here in the mortgage industry. So if you're not planning to attend the conference, be sure to go sign up. You can go to TMC Summer Conference. I just Google it. It comes right up. It'll bring you right to the website, and you can get registered. Encourage you to check out all of the MBA's conferences and the education services that the MBA provides. Google MBA Conferences and Education. It'll all come up. And then you can also head over to Sam Garcia's website, Mortgage Daily. He has a great lineup of all the conferences and more conferences there than you can imagine. So, Anyway, special thank you goes out to Alice, and today we have Alice, we have uh, Sam Garcia joining us, and our good friend, Joe Farr. And let's go over to Joe to get a read on what's happening in the markets. That's pretty easy to do, nope. Dave, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> the MBS, yeah, I, I don't remember a day that we've seen less movement in MBS prices, but it has just absolutely been flat. And, uh, yeah, it's not bad. We've had a few days last week that were a little volatile, so it's not bad to have a flat day. Today, uh, some data came out. Chicago PMI was uh, a little below expectations, and pending home sales were a little better than expected, so it was good to see. Up up 1.5% when 1% was expected. And, yeah, the same thing, though, low inventories or or continue to constrain sales. Yeah, the interesting thing is stock market's at an all-time high. Even today, we're up again 90 basis points on the Dow. Uh, It's just just right at 22,000. Wow. Good if you own stock. Yeah. But last week, uh, last week, net. For the week, there wasn't a whole lot of movement in MBS prices or mortgage rates. Uh, it was a good week for the Dow last week. As I mentioned, they were up 250 points last week. Uh, not so for the NASDAQ, but generally stocks have been doing well. It, on, during the week, uh, MBS prices fell on Tuesday ahead of the Wednesday Fed meeting. Some of that was due to strong data. The consumer confidence number came out well above expected, and, and it was quite frankly, it was like the second best reading of the decade of the uh you know the 20th century 21st century wow. and um and then in uh, on Wednesday you know a lot of that uh, rise uh, or drop in MBS prices on Tuesday was related to the Fed meeting coming up on Wednesday you know it's all concerned about what they might or might not say and in fact they said very little new information and on Wednesday, after the fact of no new surprises, there was a nice rally back on MBS prices and came back to where they'd been before the drop on Tuesday. Uh, right now, it's kind of investors are expecting some guidance on the start of the, the balance sheet reduction, uh, probably at the September meeting. Um, and, and the chances of a Fed funds rate hike this year are now down to about 50-50. Uh, if that'll happen, and if it does happen, it, it would likely be in December. So, um, uh, during the week, the other things that came out were new and existing home sales. Both came out very close to expected. Uh, durable orders rose more than expected. And we saw the first look at second quarter GDP. It was up 2.6 percent. Uh, good, strong consumer spending and business investment contributed to that improvement over the first quarter. The first quarter was revised lower to 1.2 from 1.4. Yeah. And then looking this at week, this though. week coming up, yeah, there's a lot on the calendar this week. Uh, tomorrow's consumer uh, personal income and core PCE. Uh, June core PCE, which will be announced tomorrow, is expected to come out at uh, 1.4%, which is the same was in May. So, you know, still low and and seems to be hanging there. Uh, Also, tomorrow's ISM Manufacturing. Then on Thursday's ISM Services Index. Both of those come out at 10. And then on Friday, the big jobs report. Uh, Right now, the consensus is for jobs to uh, uh, show an increase of about 180,000 unemployment rate to drop from 4.4 to 4.3, and average hourly earnings to rise three-tenths. That's up from a two-tenth increase in June. So that's about it. Lots of information. I don't know how people navigate these markets, even though we're having a flat day today. But we yeah, get low in these flat days. Yeah, don't need it today. Just kind of go out there and have some fun, enjoy the markets. But boy, when the markets are volatile, I think we do have some volatile days ahead. This is. I what think do we you, do. What do you? 
is the contributing what's contributing to the twenty two thousand level? I mean that is I mean equities are doing so amazing. What are your what's your read on that? And and is this gonna continue to uh, to or will it hurt at some point or how does it impact the MBS prices? We got Jay, he'll give us his perspective later on, but Yeah, well I, I hate to I hate to give an opinion in front of Jay because his is the one that matters. <laughs> but there's a there's an interesting chart that shows the path of the, the the Dow, and it almost mirrors the the path of the balance sheet increase for the Fed. And um, and, and so you know uh, uh, the 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 Fed's balance sheet has has stopped growing, obviously. But as it as they begin to shrink it, and then as the ECB begins to shrink it, I think we'll see a little flattening out, and uh, uh, some of the some of the incentive to buy is going to diminish and and we'll see stocks probably flatten out for a while yeah it's at some point in time you should wonder you know how high does the you know how low can you go in the limbo world but how high can you go with these equities it's really interesting when do the corrections start happening in the adjustments so fascinating time fascinating time we just got a dividend check in i go whoa time to get in the market bigger way and i go no yeah. i don't know but this is a great report. Appreciate it. Your service, Joe, is very valuable for those of you who are listening, who are not using any service. You just got to check out MBS Quote Line. And to learn how to do so, stay tuned and listen to this message. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Yeah, I appreciate you tuning in. More people have dialed in. Again, this is the July 31st podcast. Again, we say that for many of you who listen on a downloaded basis. I'll repeat it several times throughout the podcast. You remember which one you're listening to. Well, Les Parker, who is a part of this advisor group that we formed, very excited to have him on that. He won't be joining us live, but he, as he does now each week, provides us a perspective, more of a macro perspective on the markets and what's going on. And so Les pre-recorded the following, and he always puts it to a music parody. So let's see what he's got for us this time. Here you go, Les. Thanks, Dave. This is Market Logics Live, sponsored by Loan Logic. Fum. Look out, market, because here it comes. The Fed bringing you a load that's true, so get ready. Get ready. Last week, the Fed made a big announcement. Did its affirmation to reduce its balance sheet relatively soon increase Treasury yields? Does lower accommodation increase liquidity? What do investors do when financing rates are low? Do investors leverage stock? What does leverage lead to? Do short-term investment strategies or long-term investment strategies build the greatest wealth? These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Yeah, but get ready for what? So we're going to get more perspective of Les. It's a, it's always fun to have him. And we're getting a lot of feedback on Les's segment. It's relatively new to the podcast, and we're glad to have Loan Logic's Les Parker part of the program. Without further ado, let's get over to Alice Alvey, who is Senior Vice President, Executive Vice President, Senior Vice President, Union Home Mortgage. What's your new title there, Alice? i got to make sure I get it right in here. Is that Senior Vice yeah, President or Executive Vice President? I'm, a, I'm, I'm taking a step down. I'm a VP. That's plenty for You're me. a VP. <laughs> <laughs> VP of education and training. Yes, it's a perfect place to be. So, But it's a step up because it's a great company, although Indicom is good. I didn't mean to make it sound – I don't know why that makes it sound disparaging, but it's a step up because you're back in the mortgage industry and back with a legislative update. So what you got? 
Well, thank you. So I thought just for a few minutes, since we uh, don't have a lot going on with uh, August as the as Congress is out of town, and we certainly want to allow enough time to really get um, the astute group to give us lots of their insight on the um, ZSE reform. I, for our segment right now, I want to give everybody a heads up on uh, what are they thinking from these bills that were introduced by a few Congress people at the end of June, and now the text is out, and I've had a chance to look at it. And these are things, folks, that just, this is supposed to be a little bit of humor, I think, in here, right? So we have one <laughs> congressperson, H.R. 3134, transforming student debt to home equity. What a great idea. If you go borrow more for your student loan, we're going to give you equity in a home. I don't get how this works. And when you try and read the bill, they clearly don't have any idea how this might work either. It just looks good in the title. And it's, the idea was to help uh, those with student loans uh, be able to uh, buy a, a home that's in foreclosure. Now, the good part about that bill is at least they put in some meaningful statistics. So in the Q4 of 2016, there were still over 17.2 million uh, vacant homes out there and 40 million Americans had at least one outstanding student loan. So I thought those were interesting numbers. Yes, it serves a lot of people, but I'm not sure how you take student loans and turn it into homeownership equity. So they have to work on some text there. Then we have three bills that got introduced in June that are going after servicing and trying to button this up to where we just would have some crazy regulations, a single point of contact for all uh, record-keeping free oral interpretation for your preferred language and then requiring the lender to stay within the preferred language uh, throughout all communication. Now, there are some uh, who kind of abide by that anyway uh, to a certain extent, but to make it a federal law would really cause a huge burden in servicing. And then going on to say if there was a transfer of servicing, you couldn't foreclose for 60 days. Um, then another bill to require that we have a lease, a deed for lease program for all borrowers or that we can't uh, file a deficiency judgment um, after the house has been sold uh, through foreclosure sale. So some really crazy stuff out there that right now doesn't look like it's going anywhere, but we'll watch it for you to, in the what are they thinking bucket. And then one last one, <laughs> Senate 1315, it's called Relationship Lending Preservation Act. Essentially would make anybody who's part of the federal home loan bank system less than $10 billion in assets exempt from QM. Wow, that sounds great. What about the lenders? What about everybody else? Why did they get an unleveling, unlevel playing field? So anyway, in my what are they thinking bucket that we hope goes nowhere for the rest of 2017 and 2018. So that's my report for you, Dave, to let all of you know that, <laughs> that something crazy so happened. We're still going to watch it to make sure it stays in the no man's land bucket and doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> well, we're going to rename this segment from the legislative update, <laughs> regulatory update to what are they thinking now? Right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff, I mean, regulators, it's just like, my gosh, um, we got to encourage servicing retention, not discourage it. And that just has a tendency to play towards, um, you know, only the bigger guys will do it. And, of course, that creates more litigation opportunity. I mean, I just uh, – I, I, what are they thinking, Alice? Great what segment title. I love <laughs> What are they thinking? Oh, perfect. Excellent. Appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to getting you participate in the Hot Topics segment, Alice. It's going to be really good to get these veterans. We have Joe Mirren, uh, Gary uh, Ort, as well as Jay Bremen. Really get their thoughts on all of this. It's going to be a great historical perspective and looking forward. So looking forward from a historical perspective. We'll be back in that, folks, and with that and first of all sam garcia then we're getting into the hot topic segment so stay tuned jam-packed program today good to have you with us and now let's run over and talk about the mortgage collaborative we appreciate the opportunity to have them as a sponsor so the mortgage collaborative with this ad we'll take a brief break the Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor of the Lickin' On Lending Program. 
known formally as DNH, Finastra's global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you can provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot Mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com. Say a big special thank you, if I can get that out of my mouth, a big special thank you to all of our sponsors. They make uh, this possible. There's an increasing number of expenses that we're doing. We're launching the new website this week. Check out the new Lickin' on Lending website. A lot's going into it. And you're going to be able to look at just, you want to look at all of Alice's comments, just look at the legislative update. It's all going to be stacked up under just her page. You want to find out what the market updates are from Joe Farr, you're going to go back and look at over a period of time. You can go into Joe's page. They're all stacked up right there. So we're segmenting each one of these out as well as having the main program. So a lot of new features in the new website, but it's taking extra time, extra budget goes into it. And we're grateful to our sponsors who are making that all possible. Sam Garcia is dialed in and is in the house. He's uh, up there in hot text, Dallas, Texas. And it's good to have you in, Sam. It's MortgageDaily.com. Folks, check it out, MortgageDaily.com. Sam, what you got on the headlines for us? Hey, thanks for having me on. And it is a little cooler up here today, so I appreciate that. I'll tell you that. This weekend was a little nicer. But anyway, among the, the best content we provide is a ranking of the biggest mortgage lenders. Um, we get that data from quarterly reports from publicly traded companies and announcements, and also from our mortgage origination survey that we conduct. And uh, that ranking, it comes as a new, with a new subscription, which costs just 149 bucks. So the biggest lenders in our uh, first quarter report – in order of uh, how big they were, were Wells Fargo, Chase, Quicken Loans, Bank of America, which wrestled the number four spot from Penny Mac the prior quarter, and U.S. Bank. Those are the five biggest lenders we came up with. Um, the, the top ten lenders and all were responsible for nearly half of first quarter originations based on our estimates. Um, Flagstar bumped PHH Corp. from the number ten spot, and Huntington Bank was the only company among the nearly 50 that we tracked that had a year-over-year increase at 19% at Huntington. Um, and that gain really reflects the August 2016 acquisition of First Merit. Um, on the servicing side of the industry, Citi fell off the top 10 servicer ranking. Um, Citi previously announced, as you know, uh, plans to dramatically reduce its servicing uh, business. Um, Citi's exit made room for Walter Investment to uh, ascend to the top 10 servicers. Um, speaking of the uh, biggest mortgage servicers, J.D. Power issued its annual study on servicer satisfaction. Um, among all servicers, uh, the satisfaction score fell on an average. Um, even Quicken Loans, which has you know it's been ranked as the best servicer for four years in a row, saw a decline in its score. Um, J.D. Power noted that borrowers said that their servicers are more focused on profit than customers, um, so they. Basically, that's why we saw a little bit of a, a decline. It wasn't much, but it was uh, in contrast to maybe rising in the past. Um, Freddie Mac predicted in its July outlook, uh, the housing forecast, that mortgage originations will total $1.8 trillion this year. And significance about that is that that was more than it expected a month earlier when its forecast had $1.755 trillion projected. So an improved outlook, um, really it was with both uh, refinances and servicing, and even next year's forecast uh, of 1.695 trillion was lifted from just 1.6 trillion the prior month. So, good news for this year and next year based on economic reports over at Freddie. Um, our mortgage market index edged up uh, last week by three percent. The index provides insight into upcoming originations based on rate lock volume at open close. And the good news is that home purchase financing drove the increase, rising 8% from the previous week. Um, purchase money production was also up from the same week last year by 7%. And that's significant because uh, usually, it's, and, and at least our report, it's been down on a year-over-year -year basis much of the last year. Um, 
we just while we just finalized the first quarter origination numbers, we're still collecting data for the second quarter. Uh, Quicken Loans participated in our mortgage origination survey and reported a servicing portfolio of 259 billion. Um, that portfolio is gr- expanded by 8 billion compared to three months earlier, and and it's a uh, up by 44 billion compared to a year earlier. Um, originations, meanwhile, at Quicken rose 5% from the first quarter to 19.6 billion. Um, now, here's an interesting story uh, we ran uh, about using Alexa. Um, as many of our listeners know here, uh, Alexa is the voice-activated uh, activated digital assistant from Amazon.com. And, you know, many, many such devices are being promoted by major technology companies. Well, anyway, right. Amer- American Financial Resources Wholesale Correspondent Division, which is known as AFR Wholesale, it announced last week that its mortgage broker clients can now use Alexa to get updates on their pipeline. And they had like an example uh, scenario where, you know, Alexa, tell me my AFR pipeline or whatever the words were. And, you know, they started uh, going slowly through the pipeline and tell them when it was expected to close and so forth. So that was kind of interesting. You know, always keep our eye on technology and where the future is going. Um, MGIC announced changes to its uh, mortgage insurance premiums, and the changes will result in lower rates for some programs and more choices for others. Um, uh, another uh, story of interest was that Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group reached an agreement to acquire Virginia Community Bank. So mortgage banker acquiring a bank. Uh, Atlanta Bank uh, was founded in 1996 by Brian Holland and has more than 120 locations now. Um, one other story, uh, Home Street revealed in its earnings report that it cut 73 mortgage jobs and the layoffs were blamed on cost reductions tied to lower originations than they had uh, expected previously. So it wasn't you know, necessarily that they had a big drop in origination. It was just they expected more. Anyway, those are some of the biggest headlines with, of course, the biggest lenders report being our big one today. We put that out each quarter. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had a bunch more to pick from here, but i got to limit myself because you got this really interesting segment coming up that uh, I want to hear about. Yeah, I'm really interested in it, too. But that's great. Uh, it's really interesting, the data that you bring in. You've got a great reporting. You track all the major headlines, but it's the data that really I give you may- biggest kudos for. So thanks, Sam. Appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you. Bringing us an update from the from Mortgage Daily. So check it out, folks, MortgageDaily.com, or you can call Sam Garcia at 214-521-1300. Much appreciated. All right. Well, let's get over and let's hear from our friends at ArchMI, the leader of the pack, the leader of the herd, as they say. So um, let's hear from Shawnee Honnadale. Thanks, David. Glad to be a sponsor. Spring home buying's underway. The supply is tight and interest rates are rising. Are lenders ready to compete for purchase business, or will they get left behind? ArchMI RateStar is the best way to stay aggressive and stay ahead of the herd. Use our risk-based pricing program to assess individual loan risk more precisely. With RateStar, lenders lead their market the way ArchMI leads the MI industry. Lead with us. I love that. Lead with us. And we also have Motivity Solutions, which now is owned by Black Knight. They have the key KPI or the key performance indicator of the week. And so John Maynell, who is the uh, VP of Client Services, I think he's now Senior VP of Client Services, has the KPI of the week. So, John, give us what is this week's KPI. Thanks very much, Dave. Always great to be here. And this week's key performance indicator focuses on one of Alice's favorite topics, namely the underwriting process. And the KPI is submitted to initial decision. This is generally measured in hours, and you can either use this to measure an entire department's average turn time or even individual underwriters. Very effective if you're using balanced multi-metric scorecards to fine-tune the behaviors of individual staff members. This measurement can also guide an organization to areas upstream from underwriting that contribute to this initial cycle time, like processing, setup, or even sales, to help ensure that people in those areas produce complete and accurate files that make the absolute best use of the underwriter's time. So the broad scope makes this a very powerful metric and shows yet again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. 
Thank you, John. Much appreciated. By the way, uh, Sam talked about using Alexa, the new device where you speak to it, give it instructions, and it brings back information. We saw a demonstration of that at work at the Motivity Users Conference uh, about a month ago now in uh, up in Beaver Creek. It was unusual. Imagine where this world was going. You're going to have underwriters asking, hey, Alexis, how many loans do I have in the queue? How many loans have I approved this month versus what I've declined? I mean, you, you make these inquiries on a verbal basis into Alexa, and the data starts coming back. So it's a, we saw the demonstration. It is really interesting to see how technology is starting to come into this industry. So we're moving from the abacus <laughs> into Alexa. So how about that? Anyway, so good to have you with us, everybody. We appreciate you as listeners. And again, we're this is the July 31st podcast, and we're continuing our discussion on GSE reform. We started off with Bill Cosgrove talking about how the impact that it's going to have on independent mortgage bankers and how this is good for independent mortgage bankers. Then we had David Stevens on talking about what's going on in the Hill. What's some of the policies that are being out there? Gave us some of the things that are there. We're going to get more into depth into that. And then Jim Parrott was on last week, which is working closely with David Stevens. We're talking about, you know, what are some of the things that are, what are some of the, uh, uh, developments and some of the things moving behind the scenes. You want to go back and listen to those podcasts. They're all on the website, Look at Unlending. You'll see it all there and I encourage you to go back there. Now, this week, we have, I thought we'd bring a distinguished panel of gentlemen together. We have Joe Murin, the past president of the Jenny, of Jenny May, uh, unique perspective on GSEs, and also Jay Brinkman, a former uh, Chief Economist for the NBA. It's so good to have Jay back on the program. We've had him as a guest numerous times in the past. Uh, back when he was at the NBA, he went into retirement. And uh, I wouldn't say he's totally coming out of retirement. He is, uh, But he is joining us on the panel, which I'll talk about in just a minute. And then uh, someone who's working closely with me and a dear friend, Gary Ort, former president of Mortgage Finance Division at Texas Capital Bank, just recently retired. I'm referring to it as refiring. He's uh, enjoying it. He's, 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 you know, now if you know Gary Ort, this guy wears a suit and tie all the time, so I'm not sure how that transition is going to work. I've been uh, teasing him. He's been out mowing his yard in shorts but still wearing a shirt and tie out there. But anyway, we've got this distinguished group, and we're excited to have them here. I realize I probably better turn on each of their microphones and get uh, – get them involved in it. And uh, I'm going to go to Joe in just a minute, but seeing as Jay has uh, the comments, we referenced Jay earlier in the economic update. Jay Brinkman, I'm going to head over to you first and just kind of say, you know, now that you're retired, but you're, you're, you're active in the market, you do still do a lot of public speaking, but this, uh, this market, 22,000, What's your perspective on it? And by the way, I had several people request, before you get into the discussion, let's get Jay's perspective on these markets. And uh, so, Jay, what do you think? 22000 Where's this heading? Well, I, I would like to know because I am in it, uh, checking it many times a day and then doing my own trades now. But I, I think it's very much uh, optimism on what may be coming. But if you look at the underlying oh, GDP yeah. numbers, they're not – quite there yet, but it's the idea, can we get rid of some of this regulation that's held the economy back for so long? Can we really get things moving again? And I think that is a key, and now we've had some, uh, a number of reports on corporate profits that have tended to sort of back that up. Certainly consumer optimism is there, largely, I think, because of the jobs numbers having looked so good. People are no longer as worried about losing their jobs, and that tends to build more so in the past. Unfortunately, I think a lot of it, though, is based upon what may be coming. Are we going to get the tax cuts? Are we going to get the, uh, the regulatory uh, improvements we're expecting? If that doesn't happen for whatever reason, uh, I think we're going to see a, uh, a retreating on the part of the market. Yeah, especially when we saw what happened with Obamacare and the repeal that was expected. You look at what's going on, there was some disappointment. Besides which sides of the aisle you're on, there was some disappointment uh, on that. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. This is a um, – I tell you, it, it, we are in a unique season there on the Hill. And I imagine you're not missing any of that. I know you enjoyed your time with the NBA, 
But I can't imagine you're really missing it. Several people said, ask Jay. This must be one of your friends. Ask Jay, is he, is he missing it in D.C.? So that's one question one of our listeners. So you can give a quick answer to that, and then I'll introduce the rest of the panel. Uh, I'll give a quick answer. I have not been back, but people don't know this. Uh, 2014, the year I left, was the 200th anniversary of the British burning of Washington, D.C. I actually applied <laughs> for a permit to do a reenactment. They suggested instead I leave town, and they haven't told me yet I can go back. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love your your We've had you on so many times when you were at the NBA, so it's good to have you back. Go joining us again is Joe Murin. And Joe, you're loved out there. Trisha Megliazzo sent me a note says, Oh, I love Joe. What a great group. I can't wait to listen to the program. So Joe, you've got some fans out there. It's good to have you joining us. And uh, well, I- for those, we're gonna get over to Gary in a minute, but give us a little bit update on what you've been doing these days. Are you talking to Gary? Yeah, no, I'm talking to you, Joe. I'm sorry. I, I, I said oh, we'll me? get to Gary in a minute. Give this oh. an update on what Joe Muren is doing these days. Well, I still have my finger inside the, the political environment a little bit. I mean, it's hard to get out once you've been in, but uh, I, I think I feel a lot like uh, Jay does that, uh, you know, at some point in time they're going to ask me to get out, and uh, that's okay, too. At my age, maybe that's uh, something that uh, should be done. But, uh, you know, uh, just staying busy consulting, uh uh, running our nationwide title and uh, settlement company, and uh, staying out of the way of my uh, my daughters who are involved, uh, you know. And uh, I think and they only ask me to good. get in when they need. To, yeah, well, you know, they uh, business has been good, but they only ask me to get in when they need money. So I, you know, it's one of those things where, where you learn your, when you learn your place in the pecking order with your family, right? So I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I've got two daughters, so. Well, it's good to have you here and taking time for your busy day uh, to join us. I know the two-daughter thing is asking money. That's why I've got that down real, real well. Let's get over to Gary Ort. Gary, good to have you with us. You and you, the most recent group to join the retirement refinement group here. So, Gary, how are you? Are you really? Is it really sunk in? You're retired yet? No, not yet. It's still kind of like being on vacation. Uh, but you know, it's yeah. only been. It's only been a couple of weeks, so but I'm enjoying it. And by the way, I do take exception to your comment about the shirt and tie. I did have a jacket on while I was cutting the glass grass also. <laughs> That's funny. Anyone who knows Gary Art, he's probably one of the most buttoned down professionals. If and Gary I talked to Gary like I talked to Jay years ago about when you're into retirement, if you find yourself getting bored, uh you give me a call. I've got some ideas. So what we have done, Jen, folks, is we have formed Gary and I have formed this group. Uh we've invited Joe in, uh Jay in as well as Les Parker. We formed, and there's going to be many others joining in, but we're forming a board of advisory service. And this is, you know, many independent mortgage bankers and some community banks and credit unions that do not have any kind of guidance in there, or this is not governance. This is guidance talking about where the markets are going. So we have formed a new entity, and it's called Ainsworth Advisors. It is a board of advisory service. And so uh, Texas Capital Bank was the first one to come on and take us on, and so we're excited to be serving in that capacity. So, Gary, I think they meant they were a little worried about you retiring, and they go, we better bring a group of people, keep you kind of tiled into the mix. So, Gary, it's good to have you join us. Let's go over to Joe Muir and start off this discussion on GSE reform. Joe, there's probably not anybody uh, out there that has probably a better perspective with your activity and having been the former president of Jenny May, uh, what's your take on this current uh, attempt to uh, of GSC reform? Give us your perspective. Well, I think, uh, David, you, you, you have to put this uh, home ownership into perspective. So you have to ask yourself the question, what role do you think the federal government has in, in home ownership? And, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's not to determine who should have a home and who should not have a home. But it's more, in my opinion, where the the government should make sure that credit is available and that the the liquidity uh, should be at a reasonable price. And I think that's that those are key. And uh, from from my perspective, uh, I think no matter what structure they come up with, whether you agree that there should there should be a duopoly or not, uh, you have to take into consideration that when I was out in the market in the global markets looking for liquidity, the, the, the single biggest 
thing that everybody requested or wanted to understand is that is there a catastrophic is there catastrophic coverage by the federal government or is there an explicit guarantee? So from my perspective, to be able to maintain uh, reasonably priced credit in the marketplace or liquidity in the marketplace, those that buy bonds are very, very interested in the government's role in the explicit guarantee. So I think whatever structure they come up with, um, they're going to have to ensure that there is explicit guarantee. And from my perspective, I think that means that uh, they're not going to want any of these entities taking credit loss. So I think the private market's going to have to step up and take the credit loss, and the government will stand in behind that for the bond for the bond investors and guarantee principal and interest through their explicit guarantee. I mean, Ginny's structure already does that. So the structure from our perspective is going to be how are they going to structure the GSEs to be able to work in that explicit environment on an ongoing basis. And if you listen to Secretary Mnuchin last week, uh, he basically yes. came out and said, we will have explicit guarantees. So I think if you start from that perspective and kind of work backwards, they're going to have to figure out how that's going to work because today that is not the case. And uh, I think for that to go forward, we're going to have to see that happen just like that. What is your best guess of this reform actually happening this time around, Joe? I think it will think happen it's this most time probable, around. Highly probable? I think it's highly probable it's going to happen this time around. And I, but I don't think it's going to happen until the current administration gets a win or two under their belt and where they're actually going to focus on something like home ownership. Uh, I think that the, uh, uh, the Hill is certainly uh, focused on it at some point in time. They're going to, they're going to move down this path. But uh, we all know what uh, uh, Representative Henselink's position is on this. Uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not in agreement with, with his position. I think he kind of wants to take us back to the Stone Age as it relates to the government's role in, uh, in providing credit or the explicit guarantees and such. But um, I think they're going to address it, and, uh, and hopefully sooner versus later, because I don't think we can continue down the path that we're on right now. Several hey, people, uh, David, David Stevens, go ahead, Gary. Yes, jump in, please. Yeah, this, this, Gary, I, I think Joe is correct. I think that reform has to occur. I don't know that it will occur for the next 12 to 18 months, but the situation that we have now is simply not tenable and can't go forward. So it's going right. to come. You know, also, I think you find the previous administration was very passive regarding reform. They left it all to Congress. We all know what happens when you leave things to Congress. It doesn't occur. <laughs> yep. this, this administration, I think, will be far more aggressive, as Joe said, once they, once they have a couple of wins under their belts, I think they will become much more aggressive uh, in, in making changes. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, Joe, excuse me, going back to you, Joe, on a comment that uh, someone just wrote in. They talked about Henserling. You talk about Elizabeth Warren in the far left. You look at the far right, and there seems to be a general agreement. So from that standpoint, depends on where you, where you look, up and down the whole line. Everyone's aligned with this thing. If you, that hasn't always been the case. Talk about that a little bit. Several people wanted to well, get your perspective on the political environment. What's changed about it now? Well, I think there's what, what the politicians say uh, when they're on camera and what they talk about when they're off camera. And I think yeah. that's, that's the issue. I think uh, both sides of the aisle understand that they have that there's work to do with the reformation of, of the GSEs. It's been almost a decade that we've been in this uh, conservatorship they all they all understand it has to happen. It depends on how it's going to happen, and how that structure is going to look. So, if if we just step back and say that we don't believe that it's the government's job to determine who gets a home, who has home ownership, and who doesn't, then what is the government's role? And I think that plain and simply, because I'm 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 a relatively pragmatic individual, I think that the government's role is to make sure that credit is available, and that credit is available at a reasonable price. So, you know, yep. if we were to turn the market if we were to turn the GSEs over to the to the private markets, uh I think uh, you know, Jay Brinkman might agree with me that we would probably see the the pricing of the bonds go up considerably. So, uh, just because, you know, without the backing of the of of an explicit guarantee, you know, let's face it, they're going to want more they're going to want more skin in the game, so they're going to want a better return. So, I think that's 
that, that's how I, I see this, and I think that, that we're coming down to the end. And I do believe that sometime during this administration's four years, we're going to see the reform take place, and uh, uh, and and it will be, in fact, uh, something I think will be beneficial for home ownership going forward. Jay, you and I have talked many times in the past about, in fact, you did some studies on what would be the consequences of the various GSE reform bills that have been put out there in the past. So it's good to have you on the program again. Talk about what the NBA uh, has proposed in the past, kind of give us some historical perspective to it, and then talk about the pricing if if uh, if, 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 a, if we, we watch the more draconian uh, Henseling uh, initiatives uh, go forward. So talk about it all. Sure. Uh, you know, you go back in history, Fannie Mae is very much uh, an historical accident. Uh, the thing came about <laughs> because Lyndon Johnson funny. Uh, couldn't, yeah. uh, he, he ran into a problem of getting a, a debt limitation bill passed uh, because he was trying to fight the Vietnam War and the liberals were against him with that. Republicans didn't want to support him because of the Great Society programs, and he said, what can I do to avoid this? They said, well, you know, if you take Fannie Mae off budget, set him up as a private company, and he said, do it. You know? And so there was really not a whole lot of thought as to how you had this quasi-government organization operate as a private company. And this, this issue of one foot in the government, one foot in the private world has been something that Fannie Mae has worked and really, it turned into a, a money machine only in the 90s when they kind of figured out how to do interest rate swaps and, and computers got a lot faster to do the different scenarios. And Congress first uh, approved some capital ratios that sort of gave it a stamp of approval. And the thing built, the industry became very dependent upon everything else they were offering. And then all of a sudden, you get the, the, the collapse. They go into conservatorship and say, what do we do? And you had a, you know, generations of people say, well, I don't know, what have we ever done without them? And everybody began to think, how is it going to impact my particular business model? So you had the large institutions saying, look, we need them for this, but we don't want to get them over across this bright line doing that. Smaller companies said, look, I need somebody to help me compete against Wells. I don't really care about any of this other stuff. I don't care about systemic risk. I don't care about the... Uh, or they're too big, I need a counterpart to the Chases and the B of A's and the Wells and all that. Uh, and then they say, you know, we'd really like a different cash window. We need that. And the big guys would say, well, no, we don't want anybody competing with us uh, with a cash window. You put all that together and say, okay, NBA, form a committee and come up with a solution. So when you look at the solutions, really, that have been proposed over the years, it's been sort of this yeah, we can't have that. We, we ought to have some new organizations develop that uh, can sort of act like utilities so they don't make too much money. Uh, and, and really, that's the, the MBA position has continued along that route. I think it's been overly complicated. There's simpler solutions. If you go back to what Joe was talking about, what really is the role uh, – an overarching, two overarching concerns. One is the affordable housing business, which I think is really what kept the Obama administration from doing anything for eight years on this. I mean, I traced up to Treasury more times than I want to count to brief the latest hires there as to what they're going to do, and they put together this big plan, and, and nothing would come of it because it would hit some level in the White House that would just block it. Uh, the other issue, of course, is what do you do about the preferred shareholders that claim they still have right. um, vested interest? You've got the independent community banks who are saying, look, just let them retain some money and they can recapitalize. And I say, people, look, you realize these are the most overpaid insurance agents in the world. All they're doing is selling taxpayer-provided insurance, and you want them now to keep the premium so they can then spin off and start their own company. I said, I don't think it works like that. I think there are much yep. simpler solutions that Congress ought to consider. So let's talk about one of those. Talk about when you and I were together in Dallas for the Texas Capitol Board Advisory uh, meeting, uh, you, you said simplicity is so important. 
And it doesn't have to be as complicated as we're making it. If you hear about a committee uh, forming anything, I think what, what does someone say that a moose is an example of a committee in heaven that came up with creating an animal? It's one of the ugliest things out there. But, um, you know, so what, what is one of the simplest solutions? And you and I talked about it, but I'd like to have you share that briefly with our audience. Sure. If you think about what is the source of bringing private capital into bearing credit risk and mortgages, uh, it's the MI companies. I've long thought that you simply say you don't you don't recharge new ones. You simply say, as as a first step, Fannie and Freddie, guess what? Fifty percent MI coverage to really shift virtually all except for the catastrophic risk over the MIs, and then gradually build up the capital needed, not in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but in the various MIs as they absorb this. And at some point, Fannie and Freddie simply disappear. And you have this single guarantor, you have an agency like the FDIC that then manages uh, the credit guarantors, the MIs. You don't try and limit their returns, but instead you build on competition. You'll have ones that say, I'm going to be targeted at the, uh, uh, the independent community banks. I am really going to go out of my way to work with the uh, independent mortgage bankers. You, you look at competition as a basis of doing that with the government only providing the, the, the standby guarantee that you need to sell the bonds internationally. You go to a single security that's deliverable to TBAs, and I think we've got it. Yeah, you know, uh, away from all this, other trying to create a market. So. Yeah, Gary. You know, you, you know, Dave. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Gary. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, Joe. Well, no, you, know, you jumped in here. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I think you know. If you take a look at the Ginny model, and I am biased, but you know Ginny has been the redheaded stepchild of uh, of this industry for for decades. And if you look at the simplicity of the entity and how it works, and the fact that over its almost 50 year history, it really has never had any losses, you have to take into right. consideration what's going on there and why is it so successful. And I think that you can. I mean, if you take a look at Ed Demarco. And, and where Ed's position on now Ed's over the president of the Housing Policy Council, and uh, we now have uh, Michael Bright, who was his partner over at Millican, uh, is now the number two person at uh, Ginny May. These people understand that this is a very simple process that works in, in the marketplace. And I can tell you, during 2008 and 2009, when the marketplace was, you know, in shambles, uh, you know, when I was sitting in the Ginny chair, um, everybody mm-hmm. really relied on Ginny May. At that time, because our, our outstandings went from about seven eight billion a month to seventy five billion a month, so there was a lot of liquidity. It is a wow. very simplified process, but you know what? It does work, and the and the global markets like it because it's it's fundamentally straightforward, and you know they've got explicit guarantees. So there's nothing wrong with a solution for the GSEs that kind of mirrors what goes on there, which means that Ginny Mae doesn't take the credit loss. So I think. Right. If we're going to be simplistic, we have to think about looking at that, what really has worked significantly for the, the last uh, four or five decades, and say, how can we apply some of that thought process to the new GSE model that, that, the, uh, that the regulators have to uh, consider? That's a good point. I'm going to go back to J- Gary. I'm going to bring you in just a minute, uh, but I want to run back to Jay because we've had a flurry of uh, inquiries here on one point and pricing. If we were to see the federal government, you know, more of a henceforth, the more uh, radical uh, proposals come to pass, what would happen to pricing? Um, and you, you studied that numerous times. Where what, if, if we just had all implicit guarantee taken out, uh, Jay, what is it a half a point rise, or I mean, what? What would happen? Well, I think in this Greater? market, it's more than that because most of what we had done in the past was when we still had an active private label market. Uh, as anemic right. as that is, you know, and what's going in is, uh, you know, just a little bit higher in the DPIs, largely jumbos. I think for the average person on the street, you could easily see, I don't know, 100 basis points, and, and unless wow. you've got the large banks willing to put something in, in uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in portfolio. 
which I don't think the regulators want to see. So. I agree. Yeah, they don't want that. They're not going to have that. Yeah, for sure. Gary, let's get over to you. It's uh, it's so much fun. I'm so excited to be doing this uh, advisory panel with you. You and I are doing this together. I came up with the idea, but so busy. I was looking for someone to really kind of carry the torch on this, and you signed up. I'm so glad, and it's so good to be able to have these kind of guys on a panel. Like you and I both said, sometimes we feel like we got, we, we're the dumbest guys in the room, but it's good to be sit around with the wisdom of, of Jay and Joe and less than that. But, Gary, what is your perspective about this and what GSM reform is going to mean to the mortgage the, to the to the lenders out there? Got thoughts on that, as well as warehouse lenders. Well, GSEs, as both Jay and Joe said, they're vital to the industry for liquidity. But you know, everybody right. has to stop and think that, that let's just go back in time about ten years and prior to the conservatorship. Small and, and mid-sized lenders have to recall and remember what happened prior to that. There were large lenders, money center banks, large national lenders that got constant waivers, exceptions, reduced G fees, which made, gave them a tremendous competitive advantage that the small lender or the, the intermediate lender couldn't match. In fact, if you go back and look statistically, and I think Jay probably developed these because they came out of the NBA, I think, from about 2003 or 2004 until 2010, the top 10 banks, and that's counting money center banks, large national mortgage bankers, increased their market share from about 40% to almost 80%. Now, think about that. And then if you're a small mortgage banker or a medium-sized mortgage banker, how in the world did you ever compete with that? When the conservatorship came into place, everybody got a level level playing field. And and everybody was on the same thing, and you didn't have these waivers that, that, that were given and GC exceptions given. And now that the business has begun to slow down a little bit, you're seeing the first indications of that returning with some – of the GSEs, because Fannie and Freddie are now having to compete again. And believe me, there is a competitiveness between those two. And you're beginning to see the indications of some of these things starting to slip back in with exceptions given, waivers granted, and some GCs perhaps beginning to change. I just think small and, and medium-sized mortgage bankers need to understand that GSE reform is coming. Will it be in it the is. next six months? I think so but it will be i think as as joe mentioned or jay i don't recall which one it will be within the first four years of the trump administration it's going yep. to come and the way it needs to come about is through law not through administrative action for example mel watts term ends at the fhfa january of 2019 he could leave any time before that but that's when his term ends he was of the opinion that we want a level playing field and everything should be equal regardless of the size of your volume. Yeah. His replacement yes. could take the position that the government's needs should be less involved. They could start lowering G fees. They could increase them. They can change loan amounts because it yep. essentially takes the stroke of a pen when you're doing it through an administrative action where law is much harder to change. I Gary, you're hitting on a point. Yeah, Gary, you're hitting on a point, which is a consistent theme throughout all the interviews we've had. There is this sense of uncertainty when Mel Watts goes out of what Trump's administration might bring in as a replacement. I'm getting a lot of questions that are going to you, Joe, coming in as we're discussing this about that very thing. Do you have a sense of who he might bring in or what we could anticipate uh, as a replacement to Mel Watts, you know, I you know, anytime you think you know, you think you know what uh, <laughs> Trump's going to do, you know, you, yeah. you might as well just pass because uh, he has. He, I mean, uh, I, 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 you can go almost up and down the line of, of a lot of his appointments, and you'd have never thought that A or B would have been chosen. So I really don't know, and I, it depends on. And, you know, I think I'm sure that uh, Secretary Mnuchin is going to have a lot to say about 
who gets that yes. post. But uh, the question is going to be, and I, I, I'm not sure that I don't agree with Gary in some respects. I don't know whether Mel Watt will, will stay through the January 2019 term. Oh, really? He may, he may, so he, he may exit before that. I yeah. think he will. Too. That's interesting. You said the uncertainty that's been created in Washington. I mean, good God, every day today there's uncertainty and crisis in the in Washington and change of things. That just that uncertainty in the mortgage business or any banking business dealing with money, uncertainty is like a cancer. You've got to have know what's going to happen yep. and what's going to occur, and that's a problem right now. The dysfunction in Washington. It is so true. We've got to get Allison and Joe in on this discussion. We don't have to. I want them. They always have great perspective. Joe, Alice, you've been listening to this, so let's start with you, Alice, being the gentleman that we are. We let you go first. Your thoughts as you listen to this, questions for the panel? Oh, this is great stuff. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it because I can't write fast enough. But um, So I would like – I'm very interested, Joe and and Jay. You both brought up two things that I wonder if they go together or they're two completely separate. So, Joe, you brought up about – you know, take the Jenny May model, take the issuer model, but still within the FHA and VA loans that Jenny takes are guarantees or somewhat of an insurance from the government, another branch, obviously. So to get kind of a conventional feel to it, is that where the PMI companies come in? You know, how do we get that second layer of insurance in there if, we, if the Jenny May model is the way to go? Well, uh, yeah. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Allison. I think we're going to have to bring in uh, the, the MI model uh, into play for the GSEs. But, but don't forget, I think that the, I mean, if you're in the VA uh, lending business, you've got to want to be in the VA lending business because, you know, basically, yes, uh, we do. <laughs> you've got a lot of skin in the game. So, but and I'm not so sure that I don't think that the FHA shouldn't look more like that. Uh, I think that. Uh, I think some of the problems that we've had historically within the FHA program. <clears throat> Uh, you know, it, it should be a it should be a a more uh, that program should look a little bit more like the VA program than the way it does today. So, from my perspective, I think the GSEs are going to have to get the MIs more involved in their program. If in fact uh, we're going to get the private markets to take uh, more of the first hit uh, than they t- they currently do. Jay, you want to add to that? Uh, sure, I, and I think. Part of it would be uh, looking at an FDIC backup program uh, for the institutions that the MIs would evolve into so that just like we have banks that are are allowed to fail but that depositors ultimately are protected there, they pay for this, they're they're regulated, but we maintain the competition. Yes, good, good, good. That was one thing you brought out when we were together that I really liked. Is an FDIC model kind of the backstop to the MI companies out there. Uh, Gary, you want to add? Then if not, I would run over to Joe. But Gary, you want to opine to what's been said? Well, just the only thing I would add in closing is, is all the discussions over the last three or four weeks show that this is not an easy solution. <laughs> we as yeah. an industry tend to be fragmented, too. When, when you look at the realtors and their lobbying efforts, it's a united front. Community banks present a united front. We tend to have different organizations with different agendas. The best one, in my opinion, being the NBA, and anybody that's not a member of the NBA needs to really look at that. That's vitally important as a lobbying. But this is important and it's complicated, so we've got to make sure that our voice is heard regularly and consistently because you've you heard all the different changes and nuances to it that make it very difficult. Yep, that is for sure. Joe, we're, uh, I want to get you in on this discussion. So your thoughts as you listen to this and questions for the panel? Yeah, a quick question uh, along the lines of what Jay was talking about, which is simplicity. And early on, I, I, I questioned why on earth are we trying so hard to get Fannie and Freddie in sync and and so, Jay, I ask you, what's the logic that's being used to justify having the two utilities at the end when it seems so much more simple just to have one? Well, and, and part of the, what I've seen in some of the proposals is to say, well, let's have multiple utilities. And I, I said, well, I, I'm a finance guy, not a utility economist, but I always thought of utilities when you only had one and you needed a regular right. price to provide the electricity. So the idea of having multiple competing Utilities where everybody gets the same rate of return essentially doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
Uh, I think we need a single security that trades that people can understand and put the uh, the guide rails around that in terms of prepay speeds. We're working toward that with the fungible TBA delivery with Fannie uh, and Freddie. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the, the common security platform will be there until, uh, well, pretty much when Mel Watt leaves, I think, is when they might be finishing the thing. Uh, but that is going to be important in maintaining liquidity going forward. So we can't expect these, these new entities to, on their own, be issuing securities with any kind of uh, adequate liquidity. But to do what they're supposed to do, which is just provide the credit, uh, handle whatever administrative and reaching out to lenders and, and, and making credit available at the lowest possible cost, and let the market take it from there. And what, what Joe says is build on what works with the Gini system. Excellent. Joe, you want to add to that? And then we'll get you back to you, Gary, and we'll wrap it up. No, I mean, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively simplistic and pragmatic. And uh, if I take a look at what they need to do, I, I just hope they don't overcomplicate it because I don't necessarily think they need to. Yeah, I agree. Gary, close and it I up, agree. wrap up this segment. Yeah, and I, I agree as well. Well, I, this has been just such a good discussion. We we have this much wisdom. Gary and I have talked about when we have this much wisdom sitting around a table, it's just you just want to keep going. But this program is supposed to be in an hour format. We've gone just a little bit beyond that. The nice thing is we're not regulated. We're not having to fight up against that. But So I appreciate you gentlemen staying a little bit longer and you listeners staying on there as well. Next week we have Mark Jones joining us. He's a one that has retained servicing. And we're going to talk about the consequences of GS reform and what it could mean to the servicing world. So I'll be recording an interview with Mark this week, and then he's heading back to D.C. for a meeting, so we'll be playing that interview next week. Be sure to tune in. Folks, we appreciate you tuning in, being here with us. I want to again say a special thank you to Joe Murin, Jay Brinkman, Gary Ort, and, uh, of course, all our regular distinguished panelists, Alice and Joe and Sam, and for everyone's contribution. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. We'll be back next week with our special guest, Mark Jones. Have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.